So welcome to our second episode of our Early Years and Mental Health Awareness podcast. That's just what we've decided to name it. I'm joined by the wonderful Kerry Payne, EYFS for me. Thank you for joining me again, Kerry. No worries. So in our last episode, we were exploring depression and how that feels for us. We talked about language and terminology and all sorts of different things. One of the questions that I get asked a lot from people is how do they approach a member of staff if they're concerned about them or how they approach a member of staff if they're worried or they just want to have a conversation. And we were both really quite open and honest um, with our different experiences, but everybody's different and I'm sure on any given day we may be different on how much we choose to share so some people are very private and they don't want to talk about something that's deeply personal to them so I suppose that can be tricky sometimes when we're thinking about how we can maybe support people so I suppose that's one of the questions I get asked a lot and I suppose I thought it might be helpful for other people to hear from our perspective on how you could perhaps support and approach someone if you've got some concerns or worries about them. Yeah it's a it feels like a million dollar question doesn't it because it really depends on case by case um, and you don't want to advise somebody to do something that's going to obviously escalate or make the situation worse. Um, so it is, it's a tough one. I'm, I'm, my brain's kind of doing that. What, what would I advise or how have I, how have I advised on that in the past? Um, and I think the thing that I draw on most, I don't know about you with, with like obviously your own practice and when you're in nursery management, that often the strategies that we advise, that we use with young children apply quite well to adults as well. Um, so one of the big things that I kind of say to people that if, if you are concerned about a colleague or you've identified a change in behavior, sometimes it's just about that person knowing that you're holding them in mind. And it's not about trying to, I think when I've experienced depression and when I've approached other people that experience depression, sometimes the worst thing that you can do is to kind of like chip and, and pick away at the person and expecting them to reveal more than, than what they're ready to reveal. Yeah. Um, because they have really, to understand it themselves so. yeah I'm really with you there to, to, because to start and go in with I've noticed this sometimes if you say something that might tap into um, how we see ourselves and a vulnerability or an insecurity or something that is um, tricky for us and so for someone to come in and then and use that as an example I think that can be hard so one of the things I kind of I, I always say when I deliver the training that I do is in our country um, asking someone if you want a cup of tea is like a universal language for are you okay do you want to just have a catch-up because based on some of what we were talking about previously as well sometimes we haven't made sense of stuff ourselves so it's that whole a problem shared is a problem halved type mentality and until you start talking to someone you don't really know how you feel about stuff anyway um you don't know how much that's been weighing on you so yeah. for someone to just say oh do you fancy a cup of tea what they're really saying is what you just said I i'm holding you in mind i'm thinking about you yeah and I think it's as well being very mindful I don't know about you but there is nothing worse when you are in that mindset where you're going do I feel depressed 
Do I feel right? Do I feel wrong? What is that feeling? What's going on? What's happened to make me feel this way? And then you've got that person that in, with the best intention goes, are you okay? Is there something to matter? You're not, you're not yourself today. What's the matter? What's going on? Are you sure you're okay? And then what that does is it puts pressure on you to perform differently from what you're presenting. Um, and so sometimes a less is more approach um, and using like your whole body communication so like you said it's you know the universal language of do you want a cup of tea but it also can be just a gentle tap on the shoulder if you if you've developed a tactile relationship with that person um offering to maybe do something on their behalf um so not mothering or coddling but do you want me to do that today if you need an extra five minutes or whatever so it's 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 providing what's within your own capacity um and not not trying to be an investigator of that person's feelings because that person's doing the investigation for themselves often um and, and they will share that when they're ready for that kind of problem um shared problem halved kind of scenario so but that's difficult isn't it to navigate to know what to do yeah i love that investigator of feelings is that what you said then yeah yeah um because i think do you know what that comes from quite often the difficulty we have sometimes um if someone shares something with us or and we're worried about what to say or it stems from and I think especially in our profession we want to fix people's problems we want to give them an answer provide a solution and actually we don't need you to investigate how we feel or investigate what's going on in the nicest possible way because it comes from a good place we just need you to listen and ha have that space for us that you know to be able to show up to notice that I could reach out or they could reach out or reach in, however that works. And I think a really honest question we have to ask ourselves, and I have to do it all the time, especially with my husband, because he, he has anxiety, not often, but sometimes. Are you seeking to understand somebody because you want to feel better or because you want them to feel better? Because I know if somebody feels down, I go into that panic mode of, I need to fix you and make you okay. Cause that would then make me feel better because you yeah. not being okay makes me feel not okay. And it's recognizing, am I doing this for the person or for myself? Because you know what it's like when you're around somebody who's feeling depressed, it, it makes you feel a bit out of tune. So it's, I suppose it's just navigating the situation um, gently and um, recognising your own emotional state in relation to the person's. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Because also kind of following up on what you're saying, um, you know, it's hard work for people around us. You know, my husband, sometimes it's a lot, isn't it? He's taking it on and, and not all the time, but it, it's got to go somewhere. If he's trying to lighten my load or he's trying to make me feel better, then it's going to weigh heavy on him. And actually sometimes, and I talk about this, um, you know, in early years a lot, uh, we and I've, I've had this conversation with you previously actually around chances are if you work in early years you're a sensitive person you have empathy for others mm -hmm. and along the way our our sensitivity I talk about it being a skill now an empath is a skill and I sometimes I'm good at using that skill sometimes I'm not sometimes I can take on other people's feelings and I can try and you know I've absorbed them before I've realized that actually that belongs to that person and it doesn't belong to me um, and that you know we we can then take other people's words and actions sometimes personally to us and I think that's where we've talked about that the blame culture of a toxic bitchy early years workforce I think that sometimes that derived from the fact that we're not 
um, haven't been so far as gen as a generation been um, very emotionally intelligent. And so we then offend each other without realizing it all the time. Yeah, 100%. And what's really interesting about that is the very nature of our job is to tune in to feelings, behaviors, and we do it with children all day long. Um, and sometimes it becomes a slight consequence when we're around other adults because we end up trying to, um, it's coming back to that like investigation and trying to work out and fix and, and um, resolve as quick as possible. Um, and it's just, it's just a very complicated situation to exist in, I suppose. And what's weird in this sector, and, and we shouldn't find it weird because we are often undervalued, but why are we not supported with more training? Why is it not, you know, emo like you've talked about emotional intelligence. Why don't we get more support in understanding the psychology of not only children, but of our colleagues? It's just, it's weird, isn't it, that that's not... Absolutely, I completely agree with you. And picking up on kind of what you were were saying in terms of, you know, it's it's you know, with young children, we say things like those children that need the most amount of love, care, and attention from us are the ones that ask for it in the most unloving of ways. And actually, as adults, you know, when we have maybe snapped or become irrational, angry, or sensitive, emotional, whatever you want to say, that has come that that behaviour comes from. Uh, you know a sign isn't it it's um, not attention seeking it's attention needing and sometimes we're not even aware of it ourselves yeah and actually I, that, that really resonates closely to me because I was um, described as a rebellious practitioner very naughty as a as an educator like I always had to go against the grain anything anybody ever <laughs> said you know any authority as well anybody told me to do something when I was a preschool leader or whatever role I was in it was like no and often it was rooted in um, that connection seeking like I feel alone or I feel depressed and I need somebody to I need somebody to recognize that I'm here and so sometimes I could actually be really difficult but it was because I wanted somebody to care so it's yeah that really resonates with me that sometimes we act in the most unlovable ways because we, we need love um, and you know there's been those times you know where you've been really angry and, and then somebody just puts their arms out and you go oh thank goodness like somebody's recognized it so it's that um, feeling of vulnerability and being okay with it and I still struggle with that you know I'm 35 and I still really struggle to be vulnerable but it's it takes practice I think to be vulnerable oh, yeah. oh absolutely it does I mean it's it's just so tricky isn't it and I think you know if we if we think about that our profession is a caregiver and we are just we have been we have been kind of um I'm trying to find the word we've been trained almost to put everybody's needs above our own mm. the children obviously we're there to do a job it's important but we've become so um accustomed and i suppose trained to do this that we don't think about our own well-being we don't think about what we need and our, our needs and how important you know taking care of our mental health and our physical health and also then how we support each other as a team, how vital that is to the work that we do with the children. We're just waking up to that idea, aren't we? Yeah, and I think what you've said there about caregiving, it's the culture of caregiving. Like so many people assume that that is a natural set of skills and dispositions and behaviours, 
but it takes a lot of work. But when somebody assumes that it happens naturally, you're then just required to apply it to everything. And I think early educators are just so often the type of people that go, as long as everybody else is cared for and looked after and loved and supported, I can put myself at the bottom of the pile. And I know we've talked about this before around those boundaries and setting the example. I think early on when I started following you and you were talking about managers who don't take lunch breaks, but then promote well-being. And it's like you've got to you've got to set those own, you've got to set your own caregiving and empathy and support boundaries if you're then going to have a team that also displays those skills. Um, again, it's incredibly difficult. But even now as a consultant, I I bang on about stuff all the time and my husband will go but you don't do that so you need to stop doing that if you're truly going to inspire other people to follow that and that is I think an important message in, in mental health and mental illness we have to find ways to lead by example um yeah absolutely and going back to what you were saying there every time we put someone need, somebody's needs before our own in that way we're pushing down our own feelings we're kind of sometimes we're saying we don't matter how we feel doesn't matter and we cannot operate throughout our whole life in that way forever at some point resentment starts to build feelings of frustration anger all of these things start to build and will gradually seep in to our relationships whether they're professional whether they're personal because if we pick up on that caregiver thing what we're really doing is filling up our own self-esteem our sense of self-worth by caring for other people and doing it and I know myself I think I was about 35 before I realized I had spent my whole life building up my own sense of self-esteem and self-worth by doing things for other people that was how I made myself feel good I must be a good person I must be I'm kind I'm thoughtful because I do this this and this and eventually what was happening was I was resenting everyone I was and but also what had happened then I'd created this vicious circle of a lot of times people hadn't asked me for the things that I was giving them people hadn't asked me to do this and then I was getting annoyed and irritated oh and they don't even appreciate me but they yeah. never asked me I'd just become this role this person at work at home you know yeah, that's such a good point. And I think it like feeds into like um, being people pleasers. I'm definitely that person. Like I will put my own needs below because I just need validation from others. Um, and then what happens, I think, and, I, and for a while I became that person who um, is not a bad person, but um, if I don't do it myself, it won't get done properly. <laughs> yeah. You're only like, and when people say it now, I'm like, oh, that is that is that is the polar opposite of being a mental health advocate and being somebody that's truly invested in well-being. Because if you believe that if only you do it, it will get done, then you're not inspiring a team to want to be accountable, to want to be passionate. Like we have to like I don't know you've got to look at yourself haven't you before you start to, to look at others in terms of their own well-being and progression I really agree with you and I, I did that as a manager I absolutely did that I I believed that um you know I suppose I was invincible but also that I was quite you know like lots of us are particular about certain things and I wanted it to be 
you know, I didn't realize I was perhaps trying to prove myself in my role at that time that I was good enough manager and that I was things to a high standard. So not only for the, the, like the head teacher and the management team in the school, even though I was part of that management team, but for the, for the parents as well, for the children, there was all this kind of pressure on trying to put all of these things in place. And so if I didn't have the control over it, then it wouldn't be as good as it could be. And that was my thing. And I realized actually these things are still going to happen. They might not be, um, exactly in the most particular way I like them but that is okay they're still going to happen the world's still going to keep moving mm-hmm. and actually the biggest thing from that was all the things that other people were learning those new skills that people were developing and actually stepping away is so powerful and empowering for the team um, you know so many different things come from it and again we do it with children every day we're, we're absolutely massively skilled and going I think you could do that yourself. But when it comes to fellow adults, we're like, only I can do it. It's got to be the way I do it. And, and it's that sense of, of control, isn't it? Because I was definitely that, that um, manager. Um, I remember once I was very obsessed about displays. This was early on in my career. Like displays had to look a certain way and I did the best displays. And if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done properly enough. First of all, I was absolutely taking any creativity from my staff. Um, and then one day somebody said, it might not be your best but it's their best and allow them some creativity and I did have that horrifying moment when I looked at this display and thought oh the edges aren't clean and the the font is weird and I don't like it but they were so buzzing and so happy about it and it was that kind of moment when I thought delegation and um, I've been reading a lot about um, distributed leadership recently and that concept of a leader is there to inspire and to drive things forward, but they've got to do that in a distributed way. And that is the same with well-being and mental health. We've got to share the load of, of mental health. And the manager is, we're not expecting a manager or a leader to be clean cut and to be without any issues. Their, their vulnerability and their recognition of any of their kind of areas of development or what drive a team forward so um i don't know if we've gone off topic from how to start a conversation but yeah i I suppose it all just comes back to the team and exploring the team and i talk a lot about team togetherness Mm -hmm. so often there are so many issues in a team um for so many different reasons and it is just trying to encourage that empathy that connection those conversations to come together as a team because ultimately what we're saying is that we've chosen to work in this workplace for a reason and we hope that that is a reciprocal decision between the owners leaders managers and the staff that work there and we all know why we work here and ultimately that's because we care about each other and we want the best for each other both personally and professionally as well so I think it's just, yes, maybe we, we've steered and gone in different ways, but hopefully it's useful and interesting. And I'm really excited to um, record our next podcast where we're going to ex- be exploring leadership and management in a bit more detail. So thank you for today, Kerry. No worries. It was good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>